This week on The Vergecast, we talk about the big Twitter hack with Russell Brandom. Also a little bit about whether the U.S. government can actually ban TikTok and why. Then Julia Alexander joins us to talk about Peacock, the new streaming service from NBC that launched this week. And there's a little bit of Xbox news. There's always Xbox news. Let's come now on The Vergecast. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of staying at home and wearing a mask. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. We're just moved on fully to instructions now. Uh, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I, I need more synonyms for friend. Pal. Buddy. Chum. Russell Brandon is here. I'm the secret enemy. A loaded phrase. Julia Alexander <laughs> is here. Hi, it's too early for this game of who's a friend and who's an enemy. It's right. It's every, every Vergecast now starts with like. Uh, extremely coded phrases. The Vergecast is now one of those annoying dinner parties, like murder mystery dinner parties in podcast form. Hasn't it always been? We're coming out late today on a Friday. We are recording early on Friday morning uh, because a lot has happened this week. I want to start as always. So apologies for coming out late. We'll be back to our regular schedule next week, I hope. I want to start as always by pointing out that it has been 18 weeks in America since Deborah Burks held up a flowchart next to Donald Trump saying that there would be a national testing apparatus where you could go to a website that was being built by, I believe it was 45 million Google engineers. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that they would make a website, Trump, thank Google, and then you would get a test in the parking lot of a major retailer. You know, the whole thing, 18 weeks. That's where we're at. It hasn't happened yet. Verily is making some kind of website. Mm -hmm. There is some testing. I think it's obvious there's not enough. And testing results have actually slowed down, which is bad. So that's where we are, the flowchart. I want to dedicate the flowchart count to Kurt Schrader. Uh, because we made a mistake this week. This is true. So Zoe and Megan wrote about Clubhouse, yeah. VCs, attacks on journalists. Clubhouse, there's two companies called Clubhouse. Yep. There's the there's the secret beta. I don't know what it like. TED Talks meets <laughs> Reddit Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> like like it's a podcasting audio startup. It's in secret beta. It's very popular. It's very exclusive. That's the one we wrote about. There's another Clubhouse that's a project management tool. And when we made the art, the art that went out on Twitter had the wrong Clubhouse logo. And Kurt Traders, the CEO of Clubhouse, tweeted us, we fixed it. But he's a Vergecast fan. And he's like, I look forward to the flowchart count. So, Kurt, that's for you. Apologies about the wrong logo. That's the, it's the only way you get free call-outs on the show. Yeah. Check out the good Clubhouse. That's what I'm saying. Other virus updates. Again, there's actually huge news this week. we got to talk about the Twitter hack. we got to talk about potentially somehow the government banning TikTok. 
Uh, Julia's here because uh, another streaming service has launched that just keeps happening, whether anyone wants it to or not. Netflix earnings happen. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, but as I say every week, uh, there are two the two biggest stories of our lifetimes uh, that we will remember the most formative events of our life. There is the pandemic, obviously, and there's the the racial justice movement in this country, which is quickly becoming the big, biggest movement in the history of the world. So our teams are covering that stuff. We spend a lot of time on it. It's our priority. I know on the show people want us to talk about tech news, so we do that. But I just want to give some updates on our virus coverage. Uh, the White House has reported they ordered hospitals to bypass the CDC during COVID-19 data reporting. I think I can say this to the Vergecast audience. Messing with data reporting is bad, right? Like what you measure, how you measure, like I'm assuming our audience knows that, that stuff is complicated. It is, uh, it is important to get it right. It changes the results depending on how you measure and what you measure. So that's a fight that's going on. The CDC itself is beset with controversy. Employees are saying the agency has a culture of racial aggression. So that's two of the biggest stories in the world intersecting right there. Um, Etsy sellers. Etsy is a it's a platform for handmade goods, I think is how they describe themselves. They're offering sheer face masks that actually don't protect you from anything. So in terms of platform moderation, which is like a constant topic on our site and on the show, there's a lot there for Etsy. Uh, Russian hackers are targeting vaccine development. There's a lot of vaccines in development. Disrupting that uh, is problematic. You can go read about that. There is a huge thing happening. The Trump administration has used the pandemic to crack down on immigration in various ways. A fight that played out this week, and we're going to just keep watching it. First, the administration said any foreign students in this country on student visas who were not attending classes in person had to go home. Uh, that was enormously uh, controversial for a variety of reasons. 17 states filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration, and then the administration appears to have backed down. So we're watching that one very closely. We have, again, uh, just our audience, if you look at it, a lot of people in our audience are very interested in how that might play out. We're following that very closely. And lastly, we're all just spending a lot of time at home. Uh, so Justine Kalma, one of our great science reporters, interviewed Emily Anthes to talk about how spending this much time at home might affect your health, might affect how we change habits. Uh, that's a great story. Uh, I encourage everyone to read it. So that's, like I said, there, there are two gigantic stories in the world. I never want to act like we're not spending most of our time thinking about them. But the feedback I get from our audience is, you know, everybody needs a break. And quite honestly, we all do too. So let's talk about some tech news. Russell, it's like not yeah. even tech news. It's like, I'm like, let's talk about tech news. And everyone thinks we're going to talk about fun gadgets. I'm like, Russell, what horrible things have happened in the security world this week? Sorry, before we get to the horrible thing, I just want to let everybody know that I'm feeling grateful. And so I'm doubling all payments set to my oh Bitcoin my address. <laughs> If you send me $1,000, yeah. I will send back $2,000, but I'm only doing it for the next 30 minutes. This is a joke that can only be made by somebody with access to Twitter. It's too painful. <laughs> Russell, what Julia's in locked out of Twitter. <laughs> so this is, you were talking about taking a break. I'm taking a forced break because, uh, okay, so we should start at the absolute beginning, right? Yeah. So many people yesterday opened up their Twitter client to see that these prominent accounts were tweeting what Dieter just said. And so we're talking like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Apple. And they, so they tweeted, I am giving back to my community. If you send me Bitcoin to this address, and it had the blockchain address, I will send back double the Bitcoin. 
And people said this should have been the first the first hint that something was wrong was Jeff Bezos saying, I'm giving back to my community. (laughs) That's a joke I stole from Twitter when I still, I mean, someone tweeted that when I still had access to Twitter. But okay, so these people did not mean to tweet this. This was a scam. But the interesting thing is these are like high value accounts. I think it's fair to say that like probably Jeff Bezos and Apple have every available account protection that like Twitter offers like we they really ran the table like Joe Biden got hit the official Barack Obama account as well as a number of fake Barack Obama accounts and so it wasn't just that they had installed some sketchy application or that they hadn't turned on two factor like this was sort of the crown jewels of Twitter accounts and they were just doing it to absolutely everyone so i mean in the verge newsroom and I, actually this is like i think a fun moment <laughs> like <laughs> does not always come through in the coverage so you know they were tweeting out the blockchain address right which and it was always the same address which actually had it been a more sophisticated thing it would have been harder to track if they changed the address but anyway i if you do crimes hackers if you're listening try to change the address next time <laughs> but we were all just we were all just watching you know we did a twitter search for show me every tweet that has this address and we were just watching them roll in and then 2 minutes after they posted they would get deleted as like the accounts and twitter itself were scrambling to like get a hold of it. But they would also come back for, in some cases. They'd, get, yeah. they'd post and then delete and then reappear. Because it's like this other person has access to your account. So you also have access to your account, but they have access too. So you delete the account and then they tweet it again. There were a bunch of different Elon ones. Yeah. And so at the same time, because it's Bitcoin and Bitcoin is a distributed public ledger and we all love it, you could see the the payments that were rolling into this address as people sort of tried to take up Jeff Bezos on this offer. <laughs> it seemed like they were paying out like Bitcoin was also leaving the address, but I don't think that it was paying out to people like or anyway, most people who paid this Bitcoin address did not. They just lost money, as you would expect. I'm sorry. I just if Jeff Bezos in person walked up to me and said, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you two dollars. I'd be like, you are compromised. Like, <laughs> There's a part of me that just wants to know who paid the money. One of the payments was like forty two thousand dollars. Yeah. Who has forty two extra thousand dollars to be like, let's take a flyer on this Uber tweet. I There's a part that I will never understand. I do appreciate, though, that because it started with Elon's Twitter, there was like a five minute gap where people were like, is this just Elon? <laughs> like, is he just tweeting about bitcoin and then like and then very serious accounts started tweeting and it was like oh no this is a problem yeah it's not elon just hasn't done some elon stuff like is he just doing drugs with kanye right now and he was like let's see if this works at first it was like this is just a thing that's happening to elon musk and bill gates but then pretty soon it became clear that it was like every single account on twitter was vulnerable to this and they were just going down the list of like stuff they could find which is not if you're Twitter, it's not good. It's not a good look no. for Twitter. I think I'm not at risk of being a biased journalist to say that this was bad for Twitter. Yeah, not very no. good. And and so they shut down the ability to tweet at all. For verified accounts. Because because it was primarily verified accounts that were being tweeted. Like if it's some random account, that's less you're less likely to pay Bitcoin to that person, I guess. So then, of course, also the the politics of verification 
which is a, a lovely and healthy conversation that is ongoing on Twitter, became <laughs> a, uh, a, a there were a lot of jokes about that. I mean, that was a, that was a deeply funny moment, right? When everyone was just dunking that the blue checks couldn't tweet like that was pretty funny. It is. But it is also like, again, if you are running Twitter, this is a real like we have to shut down the reactor moment of like we can't let we can't let any of the major accounts tweet at all until we get this under control which is true so also and i say this because it's affected me personally as well as julia so some victims in this in addition to the people who lost actual money because they were sort of dumb about this but if you changed your password when you were seeing that this was happening which I did. It's a natural thing to do, right? You're like, oh, shit, something bad is happening. I should change my password. I actually had, like, an exceptionally weak Twitter password. <laughs> Me too. I use the same password. I'm just going to say, and, like, not only was it very weak, but it had been, I had, like, used it in a lot of accounts, and it had been in previous breaches. Russell! <laughs> I was going to ask you if you could tell us what the password was. I had two-factor on. No, I can't, because I still have, I'm still using it for other stuff. But so Russell, I saw oh it, God. and I was like, all right, time to, time to, <laughs> look, we all make mistakes. We all, no one's doing perfectly. <laughs> you write about the mistakes. I often assign you stories and coverage about Yeah, but mistakes. I had two-factor on <laughs> Like, I had two-factor. I didn't have any sketchy stuff. They weren't going to get it by guessing the password. That's like saying, like, you know, it, I walked into the house fire, but it's okay because I had a condom. Like, what? Like this, come on. <laughs> oh, my God, Dieter. It's too early for that. If I had it to do again, I would. It's 6.30 in the morning where you are. What are you doing? <laughs> that actually explains everything. <laughs> Dieter, yeah, just okay. no filter. <laughs> anyway. I have been punished for my lapse because, you know, when they compromise your account, the first thing that they do is change the password to a password that only they know. And then if they're like, who does this account really belong to? Well, they're like, I know the password and that guy doesn't know the password. So it's mine. Right. It's a very natural thing to do. So yeah. they especially locked down any accounts that had recently had their password changed. And they have not cared a ton about restoring access to those accounts. So not only can I not tweet, which is pretty bad, but I can't even see tweets. Which is better. Well, I feel like it's sort of like, you know, in Batman where like Bane has like the juice that makes him strong, but also makes him like psychotic. Speaking my language. You're speaking my language. <laughs> That's like what Twitter was to me. <laughs> The thing is, like, I, I don't know if this happened to you, Russell. I went through, like, the five stages of grief within, like, an hour of not having Twitter. I was, like, panicking, and then I was, like, trying to bargain with, like, the Twitter guys. And I was like, I will tweet less if I can just tweet once. It's a sickness. The, our relationship to this app is a sickness. I will tweet less if I can just tweet once. That is like full. <laughs> I, I almost DM'd uh, reviews editor Dan Seifer to be like, "Can you tweet for me on your account?" <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Okay, so this happened. We're all having different levels of psychological crises. What? And but now it seems like we kind of know what actually happened. How this hack went down. Yeah. At the same time that this was happening, what we do know is there were people on the criminal corners of the internet who were 
sort of selling access to internal Twitter tools, which are the sort of things that you would use to reset accounts in this way. So this is sort of the the like landlord's master key. And there are versions of this at most social networks. Like if you want, you know, when you're talking to the guy at Google saying, I need to reset my Gmail, like this is the key he has that you're trying to convince him to use. They are really, really not supposed to fall into the hands of people who will sell access to them on like random computer crime forums. Like that is not. And I should say, like, the, the reason that we know this is because of this great reporting by uh, Motherboard's Joseph Cox, who, who sort of was at the head of the line on this. The question of how that happened. So, I mean, and this is assuming that 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 is, in fact, the source of the breach, which I think is by far the most plausible explanation. We don't 100 percent know, but it really seems like that's what happened. So was it that someone who worked for Twitter and had access to these tools got hacked and then they got the master key from that guy? Or was it that one of those people sort of was actually working for Twitter and was just like, you guys don't pay me enough. Like I'm going, I'm going bad. (laughs) Now there's precedent for that because Twitter like actually had state sponsored spies working for it within the past year or two. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, technically a U.S. ally, but they've done some things. Yeah. So it's really bad. There are members of Congress and like Joe Biden would like to know how this happened and what, they're doing over there at twitter.com anyway, because like it is at this point, it's not just that like Russell and Julia like to use Twitter. It's, it's sort of a central place. And like, if you're suddenly in control of a major channel of communication from like the president of the United States and this guy who's running for president and like, however, we're going to describe Elon Musk, like, that's a problem. That's a society-wide problem. That, to me, is at the heart of it, right? This is a pretty, as you were describing, unsophisticated Bitcoin scam. In the end, they netted just over, I think, $100,000. It was just over that, yeah. Which is, like, if you, I was joking about, like, who would do it. Like, if you compromise all those accounts and say we're giving away free money and you only net $100,000, like, okay, most people aren't going to believe a scam of that, of that scale and that sort of ineptitude. The question I have is, why didn't the attackers know that, that what they had was so much more valuable, right? Like the Russian government has got to be like, we will just pay any amount of money for, for this opportunity. Well, so I do think that one, it, it is a, like, so it's very scary for someone to get those keys, obviously. I think one thing that I would emphasize that maybe brings that into perspective is they did not have this power for very long. Like, we're talking about a few hours in which they had it. And that was obviously an extremely chaotic few hours, and it was a few hours that was extremely damaging to Twitter. But if the point is that you're going to, like, hack Donald Trump's account, and he's like, I'm going to war with Canada, and some, and you're like, this is crazy, or he's dropped, pulling out of NATO or something, if a few hours later they're like, there was this Twitter compromise, I didn't say that then the overall impact of that is not that big. And also, I mean, if you are literally a criminal and you just want money to buy a fancy jet ski, like, that stuff doesn't do you any good. (laughs) And so I I genuinely think that, like, this weird Bitcoin scam was plausibly the kind of 
economically optimal choice of how to monetize this access just because you can like mess with people but what can you really really do what you could in theory really really do if you have full account access is look at the dms yeah there's way potentially more valuable information here. So it, it may be that the answer to your question, Eli, is that the reason that they did this thing that seems like it was just a bunch of kids having fun with Bitcoin is because this was just a bunch of kids having fun with Bitcoin. That is, that yeah. is one of the things in the world of possibility. And that's like also scary that this wasn't sophisticated, uh, cozy bear Russian hackers. This was, um, you know script kitties. And if in fact that you are more sophisticated than that, uh, I don't, please, I'm not, I'm not uh, casting aspersions on you. Stay away from my Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but it's possible <laughs> oh that God. like, like the, the level of sophistication here is super low. Like Twitter, they ha didn't know what to do and they just like shut shit down. It seems like their admin panels for access to very important accounts up all the way up to, but maybe not including Donald Trump was just available to somebody that probably shouldn't have had access to it. And then when it all went down, they're just like, uh, well, we don't really know what's happening. Nobody can tweet. And that's how we fix it for now. After, I mean, if you're Twitter or actually, I guess if you're Facebook, uh, do you get on a call like as an executive with Twitter execs and be like, hey, <laughs> what happened to you? So that way we can prevent it happening to us. Because I feel like the, that would be my main concern. I'd be like, this could happen to, I assume, a lot of places. I do think Facebook is probably like laughing their ass off right now. <laughs> oh, they're having the time in their lives. Uh, Facebook, look, so Julia, the answer to your question is like, yes, that's what security people do at these companies. And that's why Twitter, like if you look at Twitter support, it's like tweeting out information about what happened in detail because it's in Twitter's best interest to share what happened. It's all the other company's best interest to know what happened. There is that level of community, I think, for those kinds of professionals. Did Jack Dorsey call Mark Zuckerberg and be like, yeah, bro. Uh, here's what you should do. There's a button where, you, where I have in my house that all the verified people stop tweeting. I just hit that button. I don't know if you got that button, but you should get one. Like, I don't know if that happened. Also, I would love for Jack Dorsey to have that button and like display it prominently. I appreciate that Jack Dorsey's tweet about this because I was waiting for him to say something, and then his tweet was like, "Rough day at Twitter." <laughs> like, yeah, man. Yeah. He's like, "I'll be at Square, y'all. I got another job." Um, and then there's the other part of that. I, I do think Facebook and the other big companies are somewhat laughing. And like Mark Zuckerberg in a little over a week is going to show up in front of Congress in an antitrust hearing. And I, I know what he's going to say because he keeps saying it. He's going to say, Our, the amount we spend on trust and safety and security is more than Twitter's revenue. Like it is his favorite dunk in the world, right? He's like, I'm spending more than that whole company makes. I should run all social networking in America slash world uh, and have all the money because that's how I can protect you, the American government. Like that's his mode of operation, right? His mode is like, I have this massive scale. I'm, I can do a better job than small companies. And so this is just a gift for him. Like, I don't know if like Sundar doesn't operate that way, but he's going to be up there too. And he's got the same gift, right? Like YouTube's big. It should probably be bigger. What if I ran the only video service on the internet? Like, that's a move that they have now. I will say the one way that this could be a problem for Facebook down the road is there is like, so you were talking about platform moderation. One of the, the sort of perennial questions for the Verge and, and kind of specifically Verge policy is when platforms do bad things, it, like, can the government punish them like how how is the government able to respond and say hey facebook don't do that 
and, and the government has not really, the government really wants to be able to do that, but they have not been very good at it. And I think for this specifically, and this is something McKenna is, is currently chasing and, and will be writing about, uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is sort of traditionally when you have some kind of corporate screw up that impacts consumers, uh, which this certainly did, they are the ones who come in and sort of wrap the knuckles of the corporate world. And they have not been super empowered to do that lately. I, I mean, I think they, they fined Facebook some billions of dollars for the Cambridge Analytica thing, but it was understood to be a real light that they sort of got off easy. But this, I, I, there are a lot of people, I, the next turn that we're going to see from regulators is, well, this is why we need the FTC to have some real muscle and we need them to have some muscle in this case in particular. And then you wonder if the next time that gets used, it's against YouTube or it's against Facebook or it's against, you know, whoever. That's maybe an optimistic prediction for the future, but we'll see. I do love the idea, though. It's like because because I'm just thinking of it as a as a, a Bitcoin centric thing. <laughs> the idea of Congress asking YouTube about Bitcoin scams, like that's what runs YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is just full of videos that are like, "Give me Bitcoin, I'll give you Bitcoin." <laughs> the, the, and the, the legal response or the lawmaker response, uh, you know, I, I, some of, I've seen some of the letters. The FBI looks like it's looking into it now. But some of the letters from lawmakers say things like security vulnerabilities are not acceptable. And it's like, well, if that's your standard, I don't know that uh, we should have an Internet like that. That's just a reality. The question is, can Twitter or other companies explain sufficiently how much they're constantly mitigating the vulnerabilities that are created? And I don't know where that line is. Like, I don't know what a, by definition, they don't know about the vulnerabilities that are being exploited. Yeah, for all they know, one of their users is like reusing a really weak password on their on their platform and thinks it's protection. <laughs> yeah, but like, this is the thing is I, they're not talking about that. Like this is really like, you know, you're not supposed to screw up this badly. Mm-hmm. If you screw up a little, they'll let it slide. But this was clearly too big of a screw up. And you have like, you just... This is Congress has enough on their plate. They don't need to be worrying about like social network security. It's just that this was so bad that now Roger Wicker has to take time out of his day to talk about how we should run Twitter. Like he should be very focused on rural broadband. I'm going to be yeah. honest. You're you're correct. You know, Russell, you said that the time factor was like made it not viable. The more I think about that, I agree with you. If what you're after is money, that might be a thing. But if this had happened on election day and Joe Biden and Apple and Uber and Bill Gates were like, don't go outside and vote. The pandemic is worse than ever. 5G causes Corona because that's what Bill Gates would say. (sighs) I feel like I should delete that just because I don't want even like a slight trickle more of misinformation going out there, but I trust our audience. But like, if that happened on election day, that sets, that changes the course of American history. Like we're not going to rerun the election because Twitter got hacked. Yeah. I mean, that to me is like a nightmare global security crisis. I think to go back to like the teen analogy, like if someone steals your car, there are lots of bad things they could do with your car. Like they could, be looking through your glove compartment and do weird identity theft things, or they could pretend to be you and like pick up your kids from school and like, it would be horrible. But like generally cars get stolen. And if it's like 
And what happens is that, like, either they sell them or they, like, drive around too fast and then just leave them around because they're idiot teens. And so I do sort of feel like there is this aspect of, like, is thinking of the absolute worst thing a person could do really going to give us insight into the nature of this attack? Or is it just, like, cars get stolen and we should try to keep them from getting stolen and it's, like, potentially bad, but it's usually going to be idiot teens. I I don't know. Every time I test out an audio system, the soundtrack I use is Baby Driver. So like my head is in a different (laughs) spot than yours. Like you steal cars to rob banks is my understanding. Speaking of teens, they're very upset because Secretary Pompeo keeps saying he's going to ban TikTok. Yeah. What's going to happen with TikTok? Right. So there are sort of two alternate explanations for this. They combine in an interesting way. So one thing that people say is, so TikTok, we know it, we love it, kids dancing, it's like a vibrant social network. Unlike previous sort of apps like this, it is owned by a Chinese company, ByteDance. Sometimes they get cute and they're like, oh, it's incorporated in the Cayman Islands and our offices are just in California. But like ByteDance is a Chinese company. TikTok, the app doesn't operate in China, but it's the non-China offshoot of this Chinese thing. So I wrote a thing about this. I think fundamentally the question is just, are we comfortable with their, with like Americans and other people outside of China using an app that is owned by a Chinese company that could potentially be pressured by the Chinese government, knowing all the things that the Chinese government specifically does. Uh, and so this is sort of the way that like Mike Pompeo talks about it. And when he's like, ah, oh, we're looking at it, we might ban it. I don't know. Which is like, Addy wrote a thing about how, what do you mean by ban? Like, what does that look like? But there, obviously there are things the federal government can do if you are an app that would make your life difficult. But so the other explanation is that a bunch of TikTok teens played a prank on Donald Trump. Oh my God. And he's like mad. And so he wants to like, take away their app, which would be really like, that's a very stupid chain of events. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, that's the most 2020 chain of events, right? That in many ways is just like, I'm coming around to the idea that that is actually what's happening here. And you just have a lot of other people who are like, is there some thing we could say about why we're doing this? that wouldn't sound unbelievably stupid. And then we talk about like their post hoc rationalization of it when really it's just like Trump got clowned by these teens and he's mad online. Or he thinks he got clowned yeah. by these teens. So the idea here is Trump had this uh, rally in Tulsa and a bunch of TikToks teens uh, registered to attend and but they didn't actually attend. A bunch of K-pop fans organized to register attend, and like, and then nobody showed up. And so the White House said, "Oh man, we've got like four million people that are going to show up to this event." And they like made an overflow event outside. And then it turned out like actually not that many people showed up. They didn't even fill the arena. And so everyone was like, "Oh well, TikTok did that. Uh, they 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 actually like screwed up this this event." Now whether or not the White House actually knew that nobody would show up, who knows? Uh, they you know obviously. The White House and their uh, track record for being honest about attendance numbers is not great. But I think Russell is right that objectively, like, they got clowned because everyone was like, ha, 
they they made they made fun of you and there there was some sort of effect there. Yeah, like I don't think the, objectively that was why there was low attendance. If what you're worried about is like people laughing at you, which I think is kind of what Trump is worried about, motivates Donald Trump. Yeah, they achieved that. And so his his strategy is now my administration will ban TikTok. Uh, well, anyway, he's mad and he's kind of talking about it. <laughs> TikTok has been like preparing for something like this for a while because they've distanced themselves as much as they can from ByteDance. I mean, literally from the move of like moving a bunch of their security teams to American based security teams to like moving to like Burbank and setting up a huge campus and then poaching an executive from the most American thing in the world, which is Disney, to like run their company, who has, I mean, on the downside, very good relationships with Chinese authorities. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and like making, and then I think even more importantly, making him the co, I can't I remember if it's president, it's like, yeah, whatever, co executive of ByteDance itself, on top of being the CEO of American TikTok. Like they are aware that this has been coming. Like they've been preparing for it. My moment, Russell, that I'm excited for to blog about for The Verge when it happens is when Kevin Mayer, a CEO of TikTok, goes to Washington to talk to Congress. I want us to redo the Mark Zuckerberg we sell ad senator to make it we do dances. Senator. <laughs> <laughs> well, so th- 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 you bring up a really good point, Julie. Like they've. They have moved TikTok as much away from China and China, like the perception of Chinese influence. You know, the, the protests in Hong Kong, TikTok is no longer operating in Hong Kong. And ByteDance is just like, just use DN, our Chinese app, because Hong Kong is China now. That's fine. Everyone agrees with that. Like, yeah. not everyone agrees with that. So <laughs> like, they just, they've just, they've adopted a Chinese governmental frame about Hong Kong and they've taken TikTok out of that and put DN in, which is the Chinese version of TikTok. I would also say, like, Specifically, it's about court orders. And, and you know, the protests in Hong Kong were about this new security law. And it was just clear that anyone operating in Hong Kong was going to have to abide by these rules that are not unusual for mainland China, but extremely repressive by the standards of, like, Western liberal democracy, right? Um, so... And I think that there is this thing of, of, so when they, when we're having this whole conversation, TikTok, the U.S. folks are able to say, we've never responded to a court order from the Chinese government because we don't operate in China. And so we would never because they have no jurisdiction to ask us for anything. And this is, I mean, how effective that line is, is an open question, but like, I don't, so I don't believe it. To be perfectly honest, uh, I think that if if you wanted to avoid ever getting a lawful access request from the Chinese government, like this is how you would set up your company is just like we're staying very far away from China. And so they have no their domestic law enforcement operation has no like reason to talk to us. I think the concern isn't uh, will a lawful request uh, out of the government for China be the problem. The the concern is uh, all of the stuff that doesn't follow the rule of law, all the stuff that happens under the table, all the stuff that happens outside of like, here's a document that shows that we've asked for this thing. It may be that TikTok is set up in such a way that like the mechanism for that under the table stuff is very difficult or impossible. Uh, But like fundamentally, there's no way to know. And so I think... A lot of people would just feel more comfortable if it there there that sort of the, the the Chinese government's access to whatever data exists on TikTok weren't there. There's the like other 
question of the way that TikTok works is it has an algorithm because it's a feed because that's what the internet is now is feeds controlled by people that like who knows what they're doing and what why they want to do it. Um, and so it's possible that like they could use it to as propaganda. Like all of a sudden you just stop seeing a certain thing that TikTok doesn't want you to see. And like, why not? I don't know. Um, this is and what's weird about this argument is it sounds exactly the same as a bunch of like, I've been shadow banned. I'm so mad arguments that are in bad faith that we hear out of like the conservative wing about U.S. social media. Uh, and so like that confluence of it's impossible to know who's arguing in good faith. It's impossible to know what the algorithms are actually doing uh, makes all of this just like, ah, like that's that's my response. To this whole situation is just. Bah. Well, and then like from TikTok's perspective, it's, you know, it's not a great time. They're the biggest, their biggest uh, audience or user base was in India and that and it got banned there. Their second biggest uh, user base is in the US. And if it gets banned there, that's a huge amount of users they're suddenly going to lose to competitors and people, on, you know, and then from the creator angle itself, like we think about a version like policy and creators, it's like there's a lot of kids and a lot of adults on that app that like have found a community especially while they're stuck at home uh who are like really like that's like a, a you know for me it's like i say this all the time in slack it's the only good app and like i have it's like the only thing that brings me joy right now and so the idea of not having it is like detrimental not only to tiktok's business um but also to like a huge swath of people around the world who like really love the app for what it is if tiktok gets banned do the influencers go to youtube or do they go to facebook reels there well i talked to the thing is i like talk to youtubers about this and they are like when this happened last time when a bunch of viners remember vine when they left when they went to youtube because they were making money on vine and vine was going to shut down they the algorithm worked in a way that really benefited them because they just like skyrocketed. Um, so that's like your your Paul brothers and, and all of them. The algorithm has changed so much since that happened in 2016, 2017, that it would be really hard for a lot of these creators to kind of find that same level of success that they're finding from TikTok. And then the questions with YouTube is like, can you make a 10 minute video? Like, can you, uh, it, are you going to get used to a whole new ecosystem that is just entirely different? The thing about TikTok is like, it's super easy to succeed in your version of TikTok, like the side of TikTok you're on, um, whether it's like the dance TikTok side or the cosplay TikTok side, once you're in it, you can build a decent following. YouTube is much more harder to like break through, I find. I, so I don't have a TikTok account. One of the, actually one of the best things about TikTok is you don't need an account to start watching it. Um, but then it still algorithmically determines who you are and it has just completely owned me. Like you're like dance TikTok, <laughs> cosplay TikTok. I have just like guys grilling. I watched a bunch of, uh, a couple guys reviewed screws. They're like, this is my favorite screw. <laughs> and they're not kidding. Like, I send him, I send him to Chris Graham. I'm like, what do you think of these screws? He's like, what's wrong with your TikTok feed? And that, but that's like an incredibly powerful little bubble that it it creates automatically, right? Like, just instantly and automatically, it creates a bubble for you of, of your interests, and it, that's why it's the best app. But we don't know how that filter bubble works. We know that social medias that create those bubbles can radicalize people really fast. Like, there's a whole level of stuff we don't know about TikTok that TikTok as a company with Chinese influence somewhere in it, it's owned by a Chinese conglomerate, that, that it's not transparent and we don't understand it. And then that's next to Mark Zuckerberg, again, who's about to testify in front of Congress, who constantly says things like, either we're this big or the Chinese companies win. Wouldn't you rather have me exporting American values around the globe? Don't worry about what I think those are. Uh, but wouldn't you rather have that than have this Chinese company encroach on America and have the Chinese government tell the teenagers of America what to do? And that 
it is a reasonably good argument. Like, regardless of what you think of Zuckerberg, that's a good argument for him to make to our government and say, stop knocking me down because TikTok is here. How that is all going to play out, I think, is totally upside down. Julia, I've seen um, a bunch of TikTokers say, like, well, I hope it doesn't get shut down. Follow me on Instagram in case it does. Right. It seems like their natural next spot is Instagram because of the stories format. But Facebook does have reels. This other product that Dieter's talking about, they've rolled it out. It is basically a clone of TikTok. Do you think that this has a moment? Like, do you think it can succeed at all? I think about uh, it was either you or Dieter. Someone at The Verge uh, had said this about when Facebook had rebranded the logo, I think, for Instagram. And it said, like, Instagram by Facebook. I think it was that moment. And it was like, this is a dumb thing to do because the best thing you're going for you is the fact that kids didn't know you were owned by Facebook. And I like I think about that a lot where it's like, this is still a Facebook app. And I mean, it, I, that Instagram's a Facebook app and like WhatsApp, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook and they're obviously extremely successful. But I think it's much harder. F- I like for me personally, like I don't like using anything by Facebook. It's just a thing I don't like doing. Um, and I think Instagram makes sense, uh, which is owned by Facebook. <laughs> but, but Instagram in terms of like how it works for influencers is very similar to how TikTok creators are currently kind of monetizing, how they're reaching audiences. Like it's still sponsor-based, brand-based, and then it's much shorter. Um, The the advantage to going to YouTube, of course, is always the AdSense. Like, you can just make money off advertisements you're going to run. But it's undergoing so many changes. It's such a hostile environment from legacy creators. Like, when anyone new comes in, they're, like, very up in arms about it and they like go out of their way to make people feel unwelcome. (laughs) Uh, um, So I think Instagram makes the most sense. I mean, there's other apps like Byte, which was founded by Dom Hoffman, who co-founded Vine. Um, And Byte could see some, there was a surge, there was a reported surge in activity when they first announced that they were looking into banning TikTok and ByteDance, sorry, uh, (laughs) um, Byte, which is not ByteDance, which owns TikTok. Byte, it's its own separate thing, told us that they didn't have anything to report at the time. But it's an app that people could also flock to if they're looking for something that is entirely new where they can build a community and find that same kind of experience that they had on TikTok. I'm looking forward to like the extremely patriotic Facebook Reels commercials that are undoubtedly being developed at Facebook headquarters, (laughs) like flags waving, like this is America's dancing app. Like it'll be great. I'm excited about it. Russell, what happens next? I think this is this is the thing with Trump generally is he like makes a lot of noise about something and then you see if there's any follow through. So I think everyone is waiting to see if the White House actually does anything or if they just sort of find another shiny object. All right. We've gone way over. It's been fascinating. This is why I only have one guest at a time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we're going to keep you both on because we got to talk about streaming services. The, the Julia Alexander special. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Julia, what, what happened this week? What do I have to pay for this week? <laughs> <laughs> it maybe nothing at all. Uh, so NBC Universal, which if Neil, if you want to do your the Julia block, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I think of it. NBC Universal is a minority investor in Vox Media, which owns The Verge. So NBC Universal launched their well, they fully launched their streaming service Peacock, which is based on NBC's famous bird. Uh, not that the bird logo is anywhere on the app. Um, and so they launched this for across the country. Originally, they had launched a beta version of sorts in April for Comcast um, customers specifically. Um, so it's here and it is the benefit to it is that it's mostly free. It is like their whole play is that it is basically an advertisement kind of supported video on demand service that's not going to cost you anything. Um, and you're going to get a bunch of cool things uh, if you don't mind dealing with ads. And it's decent. It's like a decent service. If you are someone who really likes NBC shows, which I do, like I grew up on them, it's a treasure trove of things to just watch for free in your house. What's the ad load like? Like, So the app is, it's interesting. There's three different windows that you go into. If you open it up on your TV, it's going to open up automatically into what they call browse, which if you use Netflix, if you use Hulu, you already know what it looks like. It's the exact same thing. There's a bunch of rows. They highlight some shows at the top. Um, and you kind of go through it and then they separate into like movies, TV shows, kids. So that's their main thing. If you're on phone, if you're on mobile, if you open it up, it brings you into a trending section, which I still don't understand what it's for. But the idea is it's these little clips, which they, uh, an NBC Universal person told me, think of them like quick bites, as if they oh, hadn't no. know that. No. <laughs> so they didn't know that would be Everybody has the same bad idea. <laughs> uh, but you basically scroll through and it's like, here's a highlight from the Today Show. Here's a highlight from sports leagues that NBC Universal owns the licensing rights to. Um, here's like a piece of celebrity gossip for the day, which is kind of their social media window. And then the most interesting part of Peacock is the window they refer to as channels. And what they've essentially done is recreated the idea of linear television. So if anyone uses cable, when you open it up and you have your guide and you get to scroll through channels, Peacock has recreated that with the exception that none of uh, very few of the channels are actually live. But what it does is it removes the paradox of choice. Like it, if for people who are just like totally paralyzed when they open Netflix and they just end up watching the same thing they've been watching because they don't want to scroll through. Peacock's whole thing is like, what if you just wanted to watch a a murder mystery thing? What if you wanted to watch a Saturday Night Night Live thing or Jimmy Fallon? You just click the channel and it automatically starts playing something, which is uh, very nice. And in my opinion, the future where a lot of these streaming services will go just because that paradox of choice is such a huge thing that they're all trying to figure out. 
So, I mean, it's it's here. It's like a decent it's for what it is. You're going to either spend no money at all. You're going to go completely free uh, and get half of the kind of access to a lot of the shows. If you're a Comcast or Cox subscriber, you're going to get it. For, uh, uh, you're going to get the full use of the app for free. And if you want to go completely ad free, it's either going to cost you ten dollars if you're not a Comcast or Cox customer or it's going to cost you five dollars. So price wise, it's a big win. I haven't. I mean, HBO Max launched. They made a huge deal out of it. They sent everybody sweat. Like Peacock seems like a very quiet comparative to all of that other stuff. They sent uh, us a swag box that I uh, am returning because that's just uh, what we do. But they sent a huge projector. You got a projector? Yeah. And and I, I, I was like, I don't know. And so they sent you coasters. And I thought it was really funny because it was like, here's what we're really highlighting on Peacock. And then they gave you this projector. And what they're highlighting on Peacock is like Cheers and Everybody Loves <laughs> Raymond. And I was like, this requires the full projector experience. Well, I, I don't know if we can judge. I mean, there's a party that desperately wants to judge streaming services launched by swag. And like how the swag is escalating. Like at the end of it, they're just going to send you a car or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I just meant in terms of like the marketing launch, in terms of the you know, AT&T bought Time Warner, HBO Max is like the culmination of that deal, right? Like they're like, this is the future of Time Warner is in this app. And this is why AT&T bought this company, right? Like just the narrative around it was gigantic. The narrative around Peacock is not this is the future of Comcast or even this is the future of NBC. It's a really interesting situation that they're in. So I sat down with their uh, president of direct-to-consumer and we talked a little bit about this. And I told him straight up that I thought it was a very defensive strategic play, which is like we have to be in this space. So therefore, we will have a streaming service. But Peacock exists to remind you that cable is good. Like Peacock is there to be like, hey, do you love live sports? You can only get them on cable or like, do you love anything live or like uh, anything that's happening in the moment? Have you considered subscribing to cable? Like that's very much how it reads. The only reason that I think it works as a straight up streaming service is because NBC Universal, similar to Viacom CBS, their library of IP is just untouchable. Like it's it's an insane amount of content that they're like, we own it all. So we'll just we'll just put it out here. And so if you're someone like me who just wants to watch like really old shows all the time, it's a perfect service because it's free and it's like I might as well just use this instead of spending money on Amazon to like buy stuff. But for someone who's like the Netflix, I think, kind of person who's like, I want something new every single week, which is what Netflix does. It's there's not much to offer yet. Uh, so, Julie, actually saying that Peacock exists to remind you that cable is good. Like, that's my conspiracy theory, because if you think of what a Peacock is like, they're kind of mean, right? They're just like big birds and they're kind of aggro. And I think it's designed to make you feel bad about the app so that you go subscribe to cable. Hold right. On. Can I just ask where your impression of Peacock? They're comes big. From? They got these huge tails. <laughs> They're like, they're mean birds. Like birds are supposed to be small and cute and chirpy. And these things are just like big and they're colorful, but like it's a front. It's designed to like lure you in until How they peck you, you to How are you like this so early in the morning? Dieter had like a zoo experience that he doesn't want to get into, but he's like those peacocks. Look, if, if I know anything about millennials, it's that I know that they don't trust birds. Uh, that's true. There was in North Oakland an aggressive peacock that refused to stop screaming and made like national news. Yeah, so I'm stopping this now. I'm just, I, I, if you want to find out, you can tweet at Russell and at some point in the future, he will tweet back at you <laughs> about the bird. 
Uh, Julia, there's another. I'm just straight moving on. Hard turn. <laughs> but two two peacocks. One. What I will say is, while I've been recording this, I've been getting a lot of DMs from a friend of the site, Vox editor Allegra Frank, who's like, I've been watching Peacock all morning, uh, and I'm like, what are you watching? And she's like, I'm just watching the Today Show. And I think like for a lot of people, like the fact that you're going to have access to the kind of morning talk shows, and you'll have access to some live news, um, both from NBC and then from sky which comcast bought years ago and every analyst since then has been like why (laughs) uh you'll have some access to live news and i think for people who kind of just want like random tv shows and some live stuff peacock and and again for that price peacocks is super win-win-win for like comcast nbc and people who are going to watch tv well i mean the opening price is zero right it's like that's and that's such a nice win when you compare it to like hbo max which is 15 or any amount of money bundled with any amount of things right (laughs) so the the one commonality between peacock and hbo max is both of them are fighting uh with roku with amazon it seems like Roku is the far more aggro player in this. Like Peacock's tweets about Amazon and Roku. The Amazon tweet was like, we are diligently working with our friends at Amazon to bring it to the platform. We hope to have news soon. And their tweet about Roku was like, everybody harass the official Roku account. <laughs> they literally used the word go squawk at Roku, no. which is my favorite, uh, my, my favorite tweet I've ever read. Uh, I brought that up with kind of an expert I talked to regularly, and I was like, do you see this tweet? And he, without missing a beat, just went, no, because nobody follows the Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, this is my favorite fight. It's like, I have, like, push notifications for anything that happens with this, because I it's the the big fight that's happening is between the new entrants into the space, which are HBO Max and Peacock, possibly more if other streaming services launch in the future, and then Amazon Roku. Uh, and Amazon Roku basically control up to uh, around seventy percent of how people watch TV and their or stream things in their living rooms. Uh, so you want to be on their devices. And at the same time, Peacock and HBO Max are very big streaming services that Amazon and Roku would like to offer customers. And the fight comes down to, like anything in media in Silicon Valley, uh, access to data and money. Um, so specifically, if we look at Roku, Roku takes a 20% cut of all signup fees, which might be less for big players like NBC Universal and Warner Media. But the other thing is the ad inventory, which basically means that when you have bring ads and you have advertisements on your platform, which is a big thing for Peacock, Roku takes a portion of that and they go, cool, this is mine now. Usually it's about 30%. The report from CNBC cited that it was closer to 15% for NBC Universal. The thing about Peacock specifically is that NBC Universal built this as like an ad platform to sell ads. Like that was their whole thing. They built they built entirely new advertising technology for the streaming service. So they don't want to give up control of that. They don't want to give up control of in-app experience. Um, and Roku's like, well, we're not giving up control of how much ad we're taking. That's a huge part of our business. It's like one of the biggest parts of our business. Um, and so they're in a stalemate. And then on the other end of it, you have Amazon, which gets a little bit more complicated. But what it comes down to is that if you want to be on Amazon Fire TV, which is your, your, your what you use, your device, Amazon wants these services to be a part of their channels uh, ecosystem, which Apple also has a, 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 a version of this. And Warner Media and NBC Universal are going, well, we don't want HBO Max and Peacock to be in the channels. And now there's this weird precedent where Disney was able to negotiate a weird deal where Disney Plus is on Amazon Fire TV, but it is not in Amazon channels. And so the big fight is like, we want the deal that Disney has, which is what HBO Max's executive told you and I when we interviewed him. He was like, we want the same deal that they're getting. 
It feels like this fight is just going to break in favor of Roku because they control so much. Like Peacock cannot succeed on any metric unless they're on the Roku platform and, and the Amazon platform, just because of how much, just how much of like smart TV stuff they control. How, how do, how do they get leverage back? What do they do? Yeah. Everyone I talk to is split on it. It's super interesting. Usually people are like, uh, usually experts and analysts are very like one-sided about these things. Everyone I talk to is split. Everyone, like there's half the groups that say Amazon and, and Roku control a lot of this argument because they're the, the distributors and the other half are like, listen, NBC Universal and HBO and Warner Media, it's so like Peacock and HBO Max. It's their big streaming services that people actually want. It's a lot of IP that they carry. They are going to have shows, especially HBO Max, that are going to be heavily talked about in the coming months. And so to not have them is an interesting place for Amazon and Roku because people will just go, if you're me, you just use your PlayStation, right? Like I just, it's I use my PS4 for everything uh, except gaming. <laughs> and so, it, it, so it's a weird situation. What, what, what is funny is that now other companies are being asked about it. Like Netflix had their earnings call yesterday and they were asked about it. And they were like, what do you guys think of what's going on with Amazon and Roku? And Netflix was very much like, we're Netflix, so we're pretty happy with where we are in life. <laughs> uh, and we have really good relationships with these companies, but you know, they were like, you know, it's a, it's a major loss for consumers and it's really sad to see play out. And I think it's now coming to a head where hopefully deals will happen soon, but who knows? Well, so I mean, that's like the, we should talk about Netflix earnings. Um, but the Netflix first mover advantage there is incredible. Like you, if I if it was to put out a streaming box, the Vox box, let's call it which we should not do. It seems like a failure. But like, let's say we put out the Vox box and it doesn't have Netflix on it. Like we know it's dead on arrival because that's the thing that most people definitely want. And I feel like Netflix just has that leverage baked in. They're just way ahead of the curve. It is impossible for HBO Max to be like, most people definitely want HBO Max at $15 a month or whatever. Like, and also Netflix is not selling any ads. So there's none of that drama. And they have the leverage to say, we're not giving you we're not giving you any data or being in your channel's interface. Also, we'd like a button on your remote. Here's a dollar. It's almost like what, what TV needs is like an, an open platform that's neutral, and then you could just browse to the thing that you want. Like the Vox box. Like a, like, if, like, a, like, a, like a TV, but with web on it. Like a web TV is, is oh what we God. need here. Dieter, here's, uh, here's what we're pivoting to. Yeah. It's an open source TV streaming box okay. that just runs Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves it. It'll be awesome. Battery life will be perfect. Well, it's it's funny. It's like the conversation has shifted, you know, from last year, two years ago, when it was like the streaming wars and the fight was like Netflix versus Disney. And now everyone you talk to, and what we're seeing very clearly is like it's Netflix and Disney. They've both kind of made themselves very apparent that they're foundational services. Like they people will switch devices. They will find ways to get these services on their TV or their whatever, however they watch. Um Everyone else is coming into this kind of area where they're trying to fight to be seen as a foundational service. And how are you seen as a foundational service if you're not reaching 70% of people in the United States? And that is like the question that they have to figure out. And like, and to, you know, Netflix spoke about this last night. They were, one of their executives was like, we don't just have deals with, you know, Roku and Amazon. It's like every country that we're in, we have great partnerships with device manufacturers because we know how important that is and they also know how important netflix is like it's a really great position for them to be in um and disney is kind of the second to that where everyone wants disney on their thing because people want disney plus hbo max and peacock have to like prove that their things 
consumers actually want on mass before any of the device manufacturers are going to give any leeway. So let's talk about Netflix. They had earnings yesterday. They had huge news. You got a new co-CEO. Oh, I'm so happy. The most historically successful arrangement of executives in <laughs> corporate history. What happened? I don't like I try not to like, you know, get really emotional about executives, but Ted Sarandos <laughs> was like this little underdog executive. And now he's like co-running Netflix. And it like makes me so happy. Tell people who Ted Sarandos is. So Ted Sarandos is the guy who made Netflix the reason that you're subscribing to Netflix. He's their chief content officer. Uh, in 2012, 2013, he made a very gutsy move and without telling his boss, spent more than $100 million to bring House of Cards to Netflix. Between 2013 and now, uh, he has transformed Netflix into a place where you go to watch your show, favorite a show that you might have missed on another network to you're going to Netflix because Netflix has your favorite show. They've made it. Um, he is just he's he's the guy who oversaw everything that happened with original series, original documentaries, movies, and built that team, which is a, a powerhouse team of executives from Hollywood into making Netflix, you know, kind of uh, unbeatable in Hollywood. Hang on. I have to do another Julia Box. Vox.com has a Netflix show called Today Explained. The Verge is working on a Netflix show of which I'm one of the producers. That's your disclosure. Continue, Julia. All of my stories just have disclosures. We're going to start. We're going to put it right. We're going to build it into the CMS. Like, is this a Julia story? Like, here's 500 words of disclosures. Um, so, yeah. So, yesterday they announced that they announced a couple of executive changes, but the biggest one is that uh, Ted Sarandos is now co CEO with Reed Hastings. And that co is very important because Reed Hastings spent the opening of his earnings call with analysts saying, I am not going anywhere. I'm in it, you know. I'm in it for the decade type of thing. Uh, he has no plans to step down. He has no plans to stop working. But at the same time, in his blog post he, on Netflix, uh, Netflix's press website, he did specifically say this is part of like succession planning. So the idea is that like he knows he's not going to be there forever. He's thinking of how to set things up. I think my read on it, not that I have any insight into this, but my read is that Ted Sarandos is one of the most sought after executives in Hollywood. This kind of gives gives Netflix the comfort of knowing that he probably won't leave in the way that we saw with Disney shakeout when Kevin Mayer left to go run TikTok in part because he was basically promised CEO and did not get it. So I think it was a very strategic move on Netflix's part to keep a very important executive. And from Ted's, I mean, from, from the content perspective, in terms of what it means for us, you have the guy who created Netflix's culture, who created the idea of what a Netflix original looks like. Now he's in more charge of the company. He gets to be a little bit more public with certain things. So it's, it's a good move, I think, for Netflix. Yeah, that thing you're saying about him being sought after. If you're Apple, you're like, we ha how much money do you want? Our, our office is a circle. <laughs> <laughs> Any, literally anything you'd want. Like, would do you want a circle office? We got one. Like, how, do you want to see the next iPhone before it comes out? We can make that happen for you. And like, to, I, so you have to imagine the other big companies are trying to poach him because he's he's the guy who can do it and he's instant credibility. Um, so I, I mean, that move seems smart. It also seems like that Reed Hastings, the existing CEO, now co-CEO, has not had as much influence on the content side, right? He's been the the sort of strategy side, the technology side. So that sort of makes sense. How do you think that relationship is going to play out? 
I think it's going to be a lot of what they're doing now. I mean, I think the, the you know, the whole joke about Ted, like, not telling Reed he was spending $100 million at, like, you know, not early in Netflix's career, but not, not in the last five years, which is when they've really kind of burst into the scene as a streaming giant. Um, but him just going, like, I'm going to spend this money because I think we should have House of Cards, making an unprecedented deal in Hollywood, which was giving an order for two seasons of a show, which never happens. Um, bringing on, like, David Fincher, starting so very early on being, like, we're going to have these connections to talent. I think just go Reed has trusted him since then. Like, it's just been like, Ted seems to know what he's doing, uh, which is like a position that a lot of other executives did not think of Ted Sarandos when Netflix first started. They were like, no idea what Ted's doing, (laughs) but Netflix seems cool. Um, So I think it just makes sense. And also Reed can focus on growing the business internationally, which is what their now big thing is going into the next decade. Um, He's going to focus on, on figuring out how to strategize and, and continue building and finding new subscribers in places where it, like at this point, the joke is if you don't have Netflix, why would like you're not going to have Netflix? Cause you probably have it by now. So his thing is trying to find new subscribers, which they've done a remarkably good job of in the last six months in the last, since uh, in Q1 and Q2, they amassed 26 million subscribers in all of 2019. They amassed 28 million. So they are doing very good. They're also warning every investor this will not last. <laughs> so just just prepare for that. Um, so yeah, he's focusing on on making the company even bigger than it is. They're probably going to hit two hundred million by the end of the year, which is a huge number. Um, he's worrying about competition from Disney. Uh, my favorite thing he said last night was, uh, <laughs> "Occasionally Disney has a Hamilton, which is a low key <laughs> burn, <laughs> which is a great way of just." describing that relationship so i think he's so focused on where the streaming industry is get heading in the next few years and it's only going to get bigger and more and more competitive that having ted to just run the company at a point and be like i'm only going to focus on ensuring that we have the best shows and building out franchises building out ip is a place that he's happy to be in all right we got to take a break there's a little bit of xbox news to talk about we'll be right back another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Dieter Bahn. Yeah. I just, I'm looking at these links in our rundown. How many, how many X's are there in our rundown? Xbox teams are fully out of control. Uh, what is going on? They made more Xbox announcements because you literally can't go a week in 2020 without there being three Xbox announcements. <laughs> uh, okay. Try. Give it a shot. Tom Warren talked to Phil Spencer. Uh, they are going to bundle in xCloud, which is their game streaming service, with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate in September. They're going to rename it at some point, uh, and they may change it in the future such that you'll be able to stream other Xbox games beyond the stuff that's included in xCloud. The thing that we're going to come back to here is the interesting thing about xCloud is it works great on Android, uh, and, and then and it also there is a game on the iPhone. <laughs> One game. Yeah, well, no, literally, well, actually, let's talk about now. Literally, uh, that's all they can do, because I think that if they add the ability to stream multiple games, then Apple will consider it a competing game store and they will get banned. And so they, they, the only way they were able to test it on the iPhone was to, ha- was to have one game available. It's like the Halo game. 
and that's what you get on the App Store. And so there's like ongoing negotiations of will the iPhone allow third-party game streaming services mm-hmm. or not? N- no. The, the like, why? What is this? What is the controversy? No, they will not, unless you pay them thirty percent. That's the answer, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, they they've they have cut sweetheart deals. Like we know that they cut sweetheart deals with HBO, where they've cut sweetheart deals with Microsoft over Office. Like they exist, but who knows? It's like is it in Apple's interest to like have any competitor to Apple Arcade in this moment? Hmm. Apple Arcade apparently not doing so well, by the way. Yeah, I was gonna say that would assume that Apple Arcade is being used by <laughs> Man, Apple Arcade was so good at the start and then they like they just didn't keep up a cadence of games. Which is a real bummer. But like that initial thing, I was so bully over it. I loved it. And then uh, additionally, we found out that Xbox Series X will be able to play basically any Xbox game as long as the Xbox game doesn't require Connect because Connect is fully dead, um, which means that the last piece of the original Xbox One IR Blaster dream is finally dead. I, I told you so. What does this mean for people who use Connects to power their TVs? Like to like they, they like ask yeah it means buy yeah, a Logitech yeah. Harmony remote because that's going to be supported forever. No, I, I think Microsoft has just walked away fully from the idea that you're going to control other devices with your Xbox, right? Does the Series X have any voice control? We don't know yet. Uh, yeah, I actually don't know that stuff in my head. Like I would bet the the controllers have microphones in them or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But this like central living room dream, which was Microsoft's dreams for thirty years. Yep. seems to just be gone. Like, they're like, we're done yeah. with that. Yeah, and and they're so mad about that dream dying that they decided to make the Xbox a giant refrigerator-shaped <laughs> pillar that you have to have in the middle of your living room as, like, revenge. How do we get in the living how do we How do we make people know that Microsoft is in the living room? It'll be fucking huge. <laughs> That's great. I showed my, uh, my brother, who's an audio engineer, I showed him the Xbox. The, what is it? Xbox Series X? Is that the name? Xbox Series X. Xbox, and I showed him that, and he was like, yo, is that a... He's like, what kind of that's amazing uh and then lastly the xbox one x and the xbox one s digital edition have been discontinued you can still buy a uh, xbox one s uh, and then eventually you'll be able to buy an Xbox Series X, and we are anticipating there will be an Xbox Series X digital edition, although it may be called an Xbox Series S. Unclear TBD. Who is naming any of these things? Yeah, I think the sort of running conventional wisdom here is that um, game console sales went ticked up a little bit since because of the pandemic, and Microsoft had already been winding down production on these uh, consoles. And so they just like, ran out or are running out and it's like well okay we could make more or we could throw all our weight behind the new thing that's coming this fall and that gets the, the i think that's just it so if you if you want to buy an xbox don't because you should wait for the series x slash whatever happens to the rest of the platform uh there what a hard problem yeah right like there's demand and you don't want to service it because you want people to wait but if you sell somebody at like a what, what xbox one x is like 400 bucks 500 bucks right it's expensive if you buy that, there's no way you're buying a Series X in the fall. So I think they're just taking out the high end. So you buy a 1S for like 200 bucks or whatever it is. And then you might still buy a Series X. Yeah. What's remarkable to me is they hung on to the regular 1S with the drive and they, they got rid of the digital edition. 
which is fascinating. I th- I would have expected that to be flipped, but uh, I also hate spinning discs, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I bet they just stuck with whatever is the cheapest one. Like, whatever is the cheapest at the highest margin is probably the one that they make the most of, right? Well, but it's cheaper to make something without a spinning disc than with. Like, literally all they did was take the thing out of the box. Come on, how much does one DVD drive cost? I don't know, man. <laughs> Um, they made a whole video of like, how are we going to make a digital edition? And then the, the whole video was just them admitting that they just pulled the DVD drive out. Uh, I bet that, I bet it's just the simple one because probably those people buy more games because they're just in the store and you can just buy like five games and you have to like download stuff. It's not like internet in America is great. That's fair. And then, well, there'll be more Xbox announcements every week until the end of time. <laughs> uh, but there is literally one coming up, I think next week on like the 23rd or something. So stay tuned for yet more game announcements, you know? That's just how it works. Uh, and then I guess we should mention, I think there's a rumor that I pretty well documented that uh, PlayStation has like radically ramped up PS5 production. Like they're they're making more than they originally planned. Like they're getting ready for a big, big launch. Do you remember when E3 was four days and now E3 is one month and it's just so exhausting? It's, it's not even a month. It's just it's just like it's like. It's just a little bit every week for all of time now. Sometimes I just like check in with our games editor, Andrew Webster, and then friends of the site at Polygon. I'm like, how do you do it? And it's like, <laughs> it's just like so much all the time. All right. We've gone way over. Actually, not so bad. It's like a medium amount of over, but it's definitely over. Uh, Julia, thank you. Thank you. Russell, my friend, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Do you have any thoughts on Netflix? Warrior not. I would say this is it. The question by locking down Warrior Nun, Netflix has like insured. And so, if you get a Roku device that doesn't have Warrior Nun, yeah, like where where are you? You know, <laughs> what are you doing, Julia? I have an idea for a pop up podcast for you, by the way, which is just every week you say the things that Disney Plus has censored on its service. Oh, uh, I I've start I've literally started an Excel. <laughs> <laughs> People just send me stuff. They're like, there's no butt in this. I'm like, those heathens. It's amazing. All right. That's it for our show this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, Dieter has a newsletter. Yep. It's been uh, it's been a little, on a little bit of hiatus, and I'm also taking a vacation later this week. So it's it's intermittent, but it still exists. It's uh, verge.com slash newsletter. It's <laughs> the worst call to action ever. You can, you can go read the newsletter. You're just not going to make for a little bit. Uh, Verge.com slash newsletter. Uh, Casey Newton uh, and Zoe Schiffer have the interface, uh, which is great. That's Verge.com slash interface. We'll be back on Tuesday with the interview episode. Kim Zetter here to talk about security issues. It's going to be pretty good. We're going to have a little security focus for a little bit. We, we, we banked a bunch of episodes on that, on that topic. So I'm excited for those to come out. And we'll be back next week. We'll talk to you soon. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Wear a mask.